Amen. Well, good morning, Haynes Creek. How's everybody doing today? Good? Yeah, excited to be in a new location. All right, I'll take that. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate you. Well done. Well, I'm excited. This is a fun day. It's a, it's a moment in our history. We have uh, spent five years in the modulars at our property, and uh, today we begin a new chapter here at Flint Hill. So uh, you guys are literally making history for the church at Haynes Creek. So well done for being here. Thank you for being here. Uh, and thank you for all of those that have helped, not just this morning, uh, but yesterday at our work day, uh, getting some stuff out of the modulars, getting everything that we needed here, getting things set up. Uh, to those who were here helping out, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, could not have done that without you. And the good news is, for those that were here, uh, we're going to do it again next Saturday. So come ready to help. And those that weren't here, you have another opportunity to serve your church in this way. So be here next Saturday. Um, we'll meet at our church property at 9 a.m. next Saturday. We're going to get the rest of the stuff out of the modular so we can uh, get those cleaned out because those are going to be uh, getting picked up and broken down starting a few days after next Saturday. So if you can uh, help us out next Saturday, really, really would appreciate that. Again, we'll get started at 9 a.m. Um, and then also, uh, uh, we're working through our, our way through Acts, uh, as you guys know, and we're going to start a new section in Acts in a couple of weeks. So on Sunday, August 21st, we're going to begin a new section focusing on Paul and his missionary journeys, and we're, we're setting this apart as a new series that we're calling Sent. So that is going to start on Sunday, August 21st. We're going to focus, like I said, on, on Paul's missionary journeys and really looking at what it looks like to, to live a life of purpose, live a life of meaning and significance. What does that look like? For us as followers of Christ, uh, well, to do that, we have to live according to his ways, his purpose, uh, his mission. And we're going to see that throughout the life of Paul. Uh, so that's where we're going to start on Sunday, August 21st. Today, we're going to continue on in our series through Acts. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up. Um, if it is your first time here, uh, I usually say this first, but I didn't. But uh, if, it, if it is your first time, thank you so much for being here. So excited for you to join us here in a brand new location, uh, our first Sunday here. Thank you so much for doing that. And if you could do me a favor, uh, let me know that you're here. You can do that a couple of different ways. One is just text the word welcome. Uh, there we go. Text the word welcome uh, to the number right there that you see on the screen. Or if you prefer, we have uh, cards outside right here at our welcome table. There's little cards out there. You just fill one of those out on your way home. Uh, stop by there, fill it out, and just leave it right there on the table. Again, that gives me a chance to reach out, follow up, and say thank you so much for your visit. So if you do me that favor, I would really appreciate it. Um, all right, so we're going we're gonna to finish out chapter 11 of Acts today. So again, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 11, starting in verse 19, we'll carry it through to the end uh, in verse 30. But as you turn in there, if you're not already there yet, uh, just give you kind of a recap as to what has been going on. Because this, this is a big moment in the book of Acts, it's a big moment in church history. We have this shift that happens in Acts chapter 10, where the gospel has been primarily preached to and has gone out to Jewish people, primarily in Jerusalem, primarily in the surrounding areas of Jerusalem. But beginning with Acts chapter 10, we see the conversion of Cornelius, this Roman officer, military officer, this Gentile. Peter is told by the Holy Spirit to go to his house, preach the gospel. He responds, his whole household puts their faith in Jesus. And this, like I said, this marks a turning point in the book of Acts because from now on, we're going to see the church primarily grow through the gospel going out to Gentiles. Um, so this is, a, this is a big shift. This is a big change in the book of Acts. And we're going to see how this mission plays out in a very real-life example with a specific church in a specific city at the end of Acts chapter 11 here. So again, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles, it's all good. Uh, you can follow along on the screen behind me. But starting in verse 19, it says this. 
Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. All right, so again, with Acts chapter 11 here, we see uh, a new city, right? We haven't, we haven't come across Antioch yet. This is a new city. This is a new church. And this church is going to play a significant role going forward in the book of Acts. This is a, this is a big, significant moment in the book. This is a big deal. This is a big church. We're going to see that uh, come to fruition here in the coming weeks as we continue to work through Acts. Uh, and like I said, this marks the, the transition, right? So we're, we're seeing the gospel go out to Gentiles. We see that happening here in Antioch. The believers come into the city, and they just start preaching the gospel to everybody. Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter. They're going to preach the gospel to everybody. And the Lord, as it says, is adding people to the church. This church is, is growing. They go, they preach the word, and then, like, boom, there's a church plant happening. Um, and when we look at, at the church at Antioch, what we see is a church that is, it is committed, that is devoted to Jesus and his word. And we talk about that a lot here at the Church of Haines Creek because we want to be a church that is devoted to Jesus and his word. So the same thing that, that is happening in Antioch, the same devotion, the same commitment that they have to Jesus, we want to have that here at our church. And really, we should be praying that we see that in, in every church across this nation, across the world, that we would be churches, that we would be believers devoted to Jesus and his word. So this morning, I want to take some time to look closely at this church at Antioch, to see how it was formed, to see how they ministered, and see what we, as a, as a young church plant, as a new church plant, what, what can we learn from this church plant in the city of Antioch? What can we learn from their devotion to Jesus and his word? And I think we see three things in this passage about this church and their commitment. They were committed to three things. They were committed to sharing their faith, growing in their faith, and living out their faith. So that's where we're going today. If you're taking notes, our first point there, they were committed to sharing their faith. They were committed to sharing their faith. This passage starts out by saying that those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. So if you're with us, hopefully uh, this is a good reminder. If you weren't, uh, I'll give you the backstory here. But in Acts chapter 8, uh, we see right at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen is the first martyr of the church. He's killed for his faith. Uh, by the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And, and in that moment, we see at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, because of that, there's a great persecution against the church, and it, just, it scatters believers all over the place. Right? This is when we see Philip being scattered, sent out of Jerusalem, sent out of his home, and he goes to Samaria and eventually finds his way to Caesarea. Uh, we see believers, again, all over being scattered out, spreading all over, 
And as we're told here, they go to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. And I know for, if you're like me and you're like, man, I don't, I don't geography, what is that? I, yeah, maybe I did that in high school, but now I'm not as adult, I'm not doing that. What do those words mean? Well, I have a map for you so we can get that map up on the screen, Chris, if you have that. Maybe. That's all good. Maybe. Well, there was a map. Just imagine a map in your mind. Oh, there we go. Okay, so here's the map. All right, so you see there, there's Jerusalem and Judea down there at the bottom, and you can see how far up Antioch is. I mean, they, they were spread out all over, and there's the area of Phoenicia. So this would be um, north of Israel, modern-day, so modern-day Lebanon, modern-day Syria. Antioch is actually still a city uh, in the southeast part of Turkey, so the very bottom tip of Turkey as it touches the border of Syria. That's where Antioch is. So you can see believers are spreading hundreds of miles outside of Jerusalem and Judea. And as they go, as they go to these places, what are they doing? What are they doing? It says that they're speaking the word. They're preaching the gospel. They're talking about Jesus everywhere they go. It doesn't matter where they go. They are preaching the name of Jesus. They're preaching the gospel. And it says they started preaching to Jews, but that, that shifts with some believers, right? And we're just told there's some people, some people from Cyprus and Cyrene, they come to Antioch, and what do they do? They start preaching to the Hellenists. Now, in, in this context, what that, that word Hellenist means is it means Gentiles. It means Greek people, Gentiles. They're preaching the gospel to Gentiles. Now, now they've shifted on their own, right? This doesn't come as a word from the church in Jerusalem. They didn't, as far as we know, they didn't get word about Cornelius's conversion. These are kind of happening simultaneously. They're just following Jesus. They're going to wherever city he leads them to, and they're just preaching the gospel to everybody and the Lord grows a church. I mean, look again at what happens when they go into the city, starting verse 20. It says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So they came preaching about Jesus, and a great number believed, and a church is planted. Now, here's some things you need to know about the city of Antioch. It was, at this time, the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. So Rome was number one, then Alexandria and Egypt, and then here in Antioch was the third largest city. And it had, it had a decent Jewish population, but it was primarily a Gentile, multi-ethnic, multicultural, bustling, metropolitan city in the Roman Empire. And the thing about uh, Antioch is, is it uh, had a couple of things that it was known for. One, it was known for a kind of cult worship center for the Greek goddess Daphne. And as a result of that and what goes into the worship of Greek goddesses at this time, Antioch was primarily known for its immorality. All right, it, this is the sin city of the Roman Empire. And if you know anything about the Roman Empire, for the Roman Empire people to go, yeah, Antioch, that place is messed up. Like, if you study it all, like, you know, there was not much morality going on in the Roman Empire. And for these other cities to point to Antioch and go, yeah, you think we're bad? No, that place is worse. All right, this place was full of idolatry, full of immorality, and this is where God plants one of the most significant churches. I mean, that's wild. How does that happen? How could that happen? Well, we're told. We're told exactly how, in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with him. This is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's work. He was guiding every step of the way. He was guiding the believers, leading them to grow and expand his kingdom. And these believers, these, these men of Cyprus and Cyrene, whoever they were, man, they were just obedient to Jesus, following him every step 
of the way. They were committed to Jesus. They were committed to following him. They were committed to his mission. And they stayed committed, right? It wasn't just, oh, let's go in, let's preach the gospel. Oh, some people got saved. All right, here's our church, and we're just going to focus on these people. No, we're told two times in this passage that the Lord added to their number. This was a continual thing. They stayed on mission. And they, again, like they continue this because what we're going to see is in Antioch, Antioch is the church that sends Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary journeys. They're the church that sends Paul and Silas out later on in the book of Acts. They were responsible for sending out the very first missionaries. They were responsible for churches being planted all over the Roman Empire, the gospel going out all over the Roman Empire, and it all starts with these believers in Acts chapter 11. And look, who are these guys? We don't know. We don't know. Some men from Cyprus and Cyrene. These were just regular believers who were devoted to Jesus and his mission. This wasn't some grand plan drawn up by the church in Jerusalem. They didn't send Barnabas up there until after this church was growing by leaps and bounds. They didn't send Peter up there to get this started. They didn't send one of the other apostles up there. No, these were just guys following Jesus, men and women obedient to Jesus and giving their lives for the mission. This wasn't some grand plan. No, it was just ordinary Christians preaching the gospel, sharing their faith. A church was planted, missionaries sent out, more churches planted, all as a result of these believers being so committed to the mission that everywhere they went, they shared their faith. And look, I believe this is the model for the church today, right? Like this church didn't need a marketing campaign. This church didn't need social media posts. This church didn't need invite cards or anything like that. What they did, they just, they just went wherever they were going and they shared the gospel. I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think the church at large, especially in, in America and our Western culture, I think we're, we kind of use these uh, evangelism strategies as, as a little bit of a crutch. You know, the question always gets out, and then I'm asked even by other pastors, like, hey, what's your, what's your evangelism strategy? What are you guys doing to, to drum up some events to get people to come to your church? And, I, you know, I have to answer with something. But what I always want to tell them is, like, what, it, what the Bible says is that we just are supposed to go and share our faith. Like, there's nothing, thou shalt go create an evangelism event Thou shalt go create invite cards and pass them out. And we do that, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if we rely on this, if we rely on these other things to share our faith, to go out in the community with the word, that's not the biblical model. That's not what we see in scripture. Those things aren't bad, but they should be secondary to us living on mission and sharing our faith everywhere we go. That's the model that we see in scripture. You want to know Jesus' evangelism strategy? It's this. It's right here. It's us, just ordinary followers of Jesus, going out wherever he sends us and sharing our faith with everybody we come in contact with. That's the evangelism strategy. That's how we're supposed to grow the church. That's how the Lord has his hand on churches and grows them. They were committed to Jesus and his word. And look, when we're committed to something, when we're all about something, when we're excited about something, like we should be about Jesus, we can't help but talk about it, right? I mean, just think about the things that you love talking about. Like if somebody asked you a question about this thing that you're really into, you could go for 30 minutes an hour talking about it. That happened this week with, uh, with my daughter, Livy. She started kindergarten on Wednesday, and this girl 
loves school, and she like high extrovert, so when she's around people all day, it fills her tank up, and she is just bursting with energy and just wants to talk all day long. Like You ask her, how was your day today? And boom, she could talk for two hours straight about everything that's going on in school. She's so excited. She just wants to talk nonstop about it. And we do that with things that we love and things that we get excited about. Do we do that with Jesus? Are we so devoted and committed to Jesus that we just can't help but talk about it? Jesus tells us that, that out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. He says this in Matthew 12, 34. When he's talking to the Pharisees, so keep that in mind as I read this. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Now, Jesus is talking about the evil and wickedness that can be so often in our hearts. And if our hearts are full of evil, what's going to come out is evil. But if our hearts are filled with Jesus, if we're devoted and committed to Jesus, what should come out is Jesus. We, we should be able to, to not help ourselves, but just talking about Jesus all the time. Like, hey, let me tell you how good Jesus is. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. Like, if we love Jesus, if we're devoted to him, it should come out in the words that we speak. We just should be able to walk around and just always be talking about Jesus, right? So what's our heart filled with? What are, what are our words tell us about what's going on in our heart? Are we more excited about our latest hobby or restaurant that we tried or, you know, what's going on in our kids' lives or the new house that we got, this new piece of technology that I got, well, any number of things. Are we more excited about that, that latest TV show that we're binging We'd rather talk about those things than talk about Jesus. That tells us something that's going on in our heart. So what do our words say about our commitment to Jesus? These, these regular followers of Jesus, just ordinary people, were going about talking about Jesus nonstop, and boom, that's how the Lord grew a church. They were committed to sharing their faith. Number two, they were committed to growing in their faith. They were committed to growing in their faith. So this is the second thing that we see what we see in Antioch is it's a growing church, right? Like I mentioned a little bit ago, we see two times in this passage that the Lord added to their number. So they were numerically growing as a church. New believers getting added left and right. But the church isn't called to make converts. The church is called to make disciples. That's exactly what the church at Antioch got. They understood this. The church is called to make disciples. See, we're told a great many of believers were added, but look again at verses 25 and 26. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. A great many people believed, a great many people were added, and a great many people were taught. This is what it means to make disciples. We don't just make converts, we make disciples. And what does Jesus Say in the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And what does he tell us to do? Baptize them and teach them. Teach them. That tells us is we are meant, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to grow in our faith and knowledge of Jesus. We're meant to grow in our understanding of Jesus. We're meant to grow in living for Jesus every day. And this is exactly what the church in Antioch was doing. That they were, they were growing, not just numerically, but they were growing in their faith. They were growing in their depth of knowledge and faith of Jesus. That's exactly what we're supposed to do too. We, we are to grow 
in our faith. Now, how do we do that? Well, look at Barnabas' encouragement uh, to this church in verse 23. How do we grow in our faith? Look at what Barnabas says. He says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted or just strongly encouraged them is what that, that word means. He encouraged them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And that word for remain faithful means to continue with somebody or something, to stay committed to something or something. Jesus uses a similar word in in John 15 when he says these words about growing in our faith. He says this in John 15, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Okay, so let me just pause there. As believers in Jesus, we are to bear fruit. That's the Bible's way of saying we should grow and be more like Jesus every single day, right? Like every day we should grow in, in putting our sin to death and putting on the righteousness and holy life that Jesus calls us to. We are to bear fruit. Uh, so how do we do that? This is what Jesus says, verse four. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. How do we grow in our faith? How do we how do we do this Christian life? How do we bear fruit? We abide in Jesus. That word for abide is a very similar word that Luke uses here, that Barnabas uses here in Acts chapter 11. It's the same idea. It means to continue with, to stay with, to remain with. It means to abide. And as Jesus gives this, this example of a branch, we know this, right? Like if we, if we cut a branch off of a tree and we leave that branch next to the tree, what's going to happen to that branch? It's going to wither away and die, right? That's what happened. I've, I've trimmed some bushes outside of our, of our dining room uh, windows, these, big, these two big plants that we have. I was trimming those, and I, you know, I'm not very tall, so I have to reach up and kind of like jump a little bit to clip the top of these. I was too lazy to get my ladder. So I was doing that, and then some of the branches were getting caught in there, and I couldn't pull all of them out, all the dead ones out to throw them in the woods behind our house. And, but now I know exactly where those dead ones are because those ones that I clipped, they're not green anymore. They're brown. We know this, right? We know if we take a branch away from the tree, if we take the vine away it's going to wither and die. This is what our relationship with Jesus is. We have to abide with him. We have to remain with him. How do we do that? Well, as Barnabas says here, with steadfast purpose. Now, honestly, I think that's a terrible translation of the original language. I think a more accurate way to say this would be with devoted hearts. We remain with Jesus. We remain faithful to Jesus with hearts devoted to him, committed to him. This is what he wants. This is what Jesus wants from his followers. When he calls us to follow him, he doesn't want just half of us. He doesn't want partial, part of us. He doesn't want partial believers. He wants fully devoted followers of him. Believers who give their all to him, to live everything for him. That's what it means to remain. That's what it means to abide. That's what it means to do this with a devoted heart. We give everything to Jesus. And look, I know we could, I could give you just a, a checklist of spiritual disciplines to do, right? But the most important thing, you want to know how to abide with him? 
how to stay with him is to spend time with him. It's to spend time in the presence of Jesus. Spending time with him in prayer. Spending time at his word. And not just, you know, oh, I read a verse, check it off my list today. Oh, I read a paragraph. All right, I'm good. I can close this up and move on with my life. No, no, to remain with is to spend focused time with our Lord and Savior. Spend time with him. And again, we know this, right? Think of any relationship that you've had, friends, whatever. The less time you spend with somebody, the less you know about them. The less you want to spend time, right? Like, that's just what, you, you grow apart. This is the same with Jesus. If we don't spend time with Jesus, we're going to start to drift back to our old ways. We're going to have to start to, we're going to start to drift away from Jesus. Holiness doesn't happen on its own. It's something that we commit to. And again, this is not a checklist. It's not that Jesus just wants to, oh, I, I prayed today, I'm good to go. Oh, I went to church this week, oh, I'm good to go. Oh, I served some people, cool. Helped out at the, at the moving day, I'm, I'm good to go for a month. Got my spirituality in. That's not how it works. That's not what he wants from us. Should you do those things? Yes. Yes, you should come to church. Yes, we should serve people. Yes, we should be generous. Yes, we should share our faith. Yes, we should be in community, in accountability with other believers. Yes, we should live a righteous and holy life. Yes to all those things. But it starts with us being devoted to Jesus. It starts with us spending time with him, encountering him, being, being awed and amazed by him. See, when we have that, when we spend time in his presence, all of those other things come naturally. We're going to want to serve people. We're going to want to be generous. We're going to want to continue reading our Bible. We're going to want to continue coming together as the church gathered together. We're, we're going to want to share our faith. It all starts with being connected to him, to the vine, to abiding and remaining in him. This is what it looks like to grow in our faith. So are we, are we growing? Are we committed to growing like the church in Antioch? All right, the third thing, third thing. So we see that they were committed to sharing their faith. They were committed to growing in their faith. And the third point, they were committed to living out their faith. They were committed to living out their faith. So they didn't just, they didn't just learn a bunch of new things. Like when we see, oh man, they were, they were taught by the Apostle Paul. Like that's, that's amazing. Like just think about that for a minute. Now, we get, we get Paul's teaching all over the New Testament, but it's kind of cool to think, like, man, they were, they were sitting in the same room as Paul and Barnabas, and these guys were teaching them scripture. Like, imagine how much they were learning and growing at sitting at the feet of these guys, right? That's incredible. But it wasn't just that they were, they were filling their head with all this new knowledge, and that's, how it, that's just how it stayed, right? It wasn't just that, oh, man, now I get to define these complex, high-level theological terms, right? Like, it's not, they weren't just growing in book smart. They, they were actually living out their faith. They were living out what they were learning. They let their head knowledge sink down into their hearts and out into their hands. They let the, their knowledge, their growth in Jesus spill out into their lives. They lived it out. They lived it out. Look again at verses 26 through 30. It says this, and when they had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days 
of Claudius. That's, that's the Roman emperor, Claudius. So the disciples determined every one of them according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So they were, they were living out their faith. And how do we know that? It's this new word that was created to describe them. This is the first mention of the word Christian in your Bible. And we're told this is the first time that believers, followers of Jesus, were called Christians. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. This is not a, this is not a common word at this time. It's not a common word for our Bible. It's common for us, right? We hear the word Christian, we automatically know or have some sort of grasp on what that means. Maybe we define it in different ways for different people, but we at least know, okay, they're connected to Jesus or say they're connected to Jesus in some way. But this is not normal for this time. The word Christian only appears in your Bible three times. Here in this part, another part in Acts that we'll get to later, and then in 1 Peter later on. Three times we see the word Christian. This was a new word that was created to describe the believers in Antioch. And most scholars believe that, that this name wasn't something that they named themselves, right? It doesn't say that, and they called themselves Christians. This is that they, they were called Christians. So most people believe that, that those outside the church in Antioch created this new word for the believers there to describe them. And it was kind of used in, in like a, a dismissive or like I'm making fun of you kind of way. Oh, you're connected to Jesus. Oh, you're, you must be a Christian, right? Like it was not a complimentary term given to them, but it speaks volumes about the people, about the believers here in Antioch because they were known outside the church by everybody in that city, everybody in that community that they lived for Jesus, that they were with Jesus, that they were devoted to Jesus. They were known for their faith. Are we known for our faith? Would those in our lives that don't know us, would they be surprised to find out we are a Christian? Would your neighbors be surprised by that? Would your coworkers be surprised by that? Would that customer service rep you spoke to on the phone last week be surprised by that? Would people be surprised to find out that we were a Christian? The believers in Antioch, they, they were known for their faith. So much so that the, the city, the community, had to create a new name for them. That's how much they live for Jesus. And there's two specific ways we see them living out their faith in this passage. It would have made them stand out to the culture at their time, and it, it would make them stand out in our culture too. So there are two ways that we see them practically living out their faith. The first way is their unity with one another. Their unity with one another. This is the first example that we see of a diverse, multicultural, multi-ethnic church made up of Jews, Gentiles, everybody, different backgrounds, different experiences, all coming together in the name of Jesus. And look, this, this was not common at this time, right? Like rich people didn't associate with poor people. People from this part of town didn't associate with people from this part of town. It was very divided. And this is the, the beauty of the early church. When you study the early church, one of their greatest evangelistic tools was their unity. It didn't make sense for people outside of the church to see these people from different social classes, these people from different ethnic backgrounds all coming together in the name of one person that they're worshiping. Like, it just didn't make sense to them. And it spoke volumes. These people could be so different and yet so united together in Jesus Christ. Look, our, our culture is not much different. I mean, we're extremely 
divided now, right? Like our culture loves drawing up dividing lines. If you don't agree with everything that I say I believe and I think is right, if you disagree with even one little aspect of that, well, then you're my enemy now. You're my enemy, and I hate you, and you hate me. Like, that, that's how our culture works. And how great of an evangelistic tool would it be for the church to unite, even in our differences, even in our different backgrounds, our different races, our different ethnicities, our different beliefs on these secondary and tertiary things out there that we just love to argue about? What would it say to everybody else to go, yeah, that person's different than me, but man, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're united together. Yeah, they might disagree with me on that opinion, on that thing, but you know what? We agree on Jesus, and that matters more than anything else. The church should be this, this beacon of unity in a divided culture. Let's be that kind of church. That's what Antioch was, and we want to see that in our church too. The second way that they were, they were committed to living out their faith was with their generosity, with their generosity. They were extremely generous, right? We see in this passage at the end that a prophet comes and tells them, hey, there's going to be, there's going to be a bad famine. There's going to be a bad famine. It's going to be during the reign of Claudius. And we know this from history, that when Claudius was reigning, he was reigning in, in the 40s A.D., we know that there was famines just creeping up all throughout his reign. Started kind of in Egypt and then eventually just spread to the Roman Empire. And Judea was greatly affected by this. Now, so we don't know. We're kind of given the idea that, that Agabus is coming before it gets bad. So if we go with that, then, then these, these, these Christians in Antioch, without knowing the church in Jerusalem, without, without really knowing anybody except for Barnabas, who's come there to kind of tell them about the church in Jerusalem, like they didn't have much relational connection beyond that and maybe a few other people that, that got sent there through the persecution. But these guys just knew, man, this church knew that, that, that their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem were going to be in need, were about to be in need, and here the Lord has blessed us with some financial resources, let's give. Let's send relief. Let's be generous with what the Lord has blessed us with so that we can serve and care for those who are in need. And this is exactly how we should look at our money. This is exactly what, what kingdom gospel-centered generosity looks like. I say this a lot, but you want to know uh, practically if you're devoted to Jesus or not, your bank account will tell that story. Your bank account will tell that story. Jesus tells us that. He says where, where our heart is, that's going to be where our treasure is. That's going to be where our treasure is. What, what we love the most, we're going to give our money towards that. So our bank account tells a story of our devotion to Jesus. Are, are we being generous? Are we being sacrificial? Are we giving to those in need? Are we giving to the church? Are we giving towards the mission of God? Or, or are, we, are we just hoarding as much as we can, right? Saving up our nest egg. No, I can't be generous now because I've got to save up to get to my retirement goal, and then maybe I'll think about being generous. Or are we just spending money so quickly, like we don't even have time to think about saving and future and being generous. It's like, nope, as soon as it hits my bank out, boom, it's out the door on this next new thing that I want. Our kids, our two oldest ones, Zayden and Livy, uh, Zayden's sick, they're both six. Zayden's in first grade, Livy's in kindergarten, for those that might not know them. But uh, we started over the summer uh, kind of giving them a little bit of an allowance each week to kind of help teach them about money and saving and being generous and, and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so we started, we, get, we have this chore chart. They have to do certain things each day, each week. They have to do certain stuff. And if they get, you know, enough check marks on their chore list, they do the things that they need to do, then they get their $2 allowance at the end of the week. And so we're teaching them and helping them kind of save. And Zayden, uh, he really wants this, this truck toy. And we're like, no, we're not going to buy that for you. But guess what? You can save your money. Uh, their school uh, does ice cream during the week, and it's a dollar to get ice cream. So they're like, ooh, I want ice cream. I'm like, well, hey, 
you can use some of your allowance money. So I was driving them home from school on Thursday, and I was asking them, I'm like, has the school had ice cream yet? And they're like, no, it hasn't. I said, okay, well, when it does have ice cream, are you guys, guys going to get ice cream? They were like, yeah, I want ice cream. I was like, okay, we've got to use your allowance money. And this is a perfect picture into their personalities. I asked Zayden, Zayden, do you want to use your, your allowance money for ice cream? He says, nope, 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 I'm not going to get ice cream. I want to save for that toy. I really want that toy. I'm going to keep saving. Nope, not going not to spend it on ice cream. I said, okay, buddy, good job. So he's very much the saver and like aware of goals and things like that. And I asked Livy, I'm like, Livy, do you want to get ice cream? She's like, oh, yeah, I'm getting ice cream. Yeah, definitely getting ice cream. I'm like, you don't want to save your money for something? She's like, you know, when I'm an adult, I will have enough money that I can buy whatever toy that I want. So I'm just going to get ice cream now. Like, she's not even thinking about down the road. She's like, nope, got money now, and I'm going to get what I want with that money. Like, just a perfect picture of their personalities. But how often is that... Those two extremes, how often is that how we, how we view our money, right? We just got to hold on and save and hoard and not give anything to anything else that, other than our specific goals that we're working towards. Or, man, like we don't even have the self-discipline to save because we're just spending left and right. Instead of viewing our money in, in those two extremes that we so often land on, let, let's view it according to what Jesus says. And the good news is Jesus talks a lot about our money. I'm not going to go into a lot there. I'll save you guys the preacher talking about money. Today, today, we'll get into it maybe another time. But I do want to read this passage, 2 Corinthians 9. It says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must, decide, must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. This is how God wants us to view his money. Because it's really his. At the end of the day, it's his money. Everything that we have comes as a blessing from God. And just like he has a plan for all things in our lives, he has a plan for the money that he gives us. And yes, a lot of that is to provide for your needs and what you have going on. But some of that, the stuff that he lays on our hearts, he calls us to give to him and to others in need. This is how we demonstrate trust in Jesus, that we trust you more than we trust our bank account, more than we trust our paycheck. We trust in you, Jesus. So yes, you might call me to do something crazy generous, and it might scare me a little bit, if that's the case, then you know you're probably on the right track to following God's plan. If you're like, this is a, I, don't, I don't know how this is going to work out, that's probably a good clue that you're doing what Jesus wants you to do. He wants us to trust him with that. So let's do that. So how are we living out our faith in the real world? How are we living out our faith to those around us? The Church of Antioch shows us that unity and generosity are a big part of that. But, but there's so many other things that we could get into that we could talk about. Don't worry, I'm not going to do that today, but we could. There's so many things. How are we practically living out our faith in this world, in this culture? Like, here's, here's the beauty uh, of, of Scripture, is we see the believers doing this and making an impact in the name of Jesus in a city that is full of idolatry and immorality. I don't know if you've paid attention to our country lately, or this world lately, but it is full of idolatry and immorality. And the Lord still wants to use us to make an impact. Let's live faithfully for him. Let's be devoted to him. 
So the church at Antioch shows us what it looks like to be a church committed to Jesus and his word. They shared their faith. They were growing in their faith and devotion to Jesus. They, they were living out their faith in a dark and sinful world. This is what we know about the church at Antioch. And again, we're going to see them continue to do this throughout the book of Acts. Now let's, let's think about, about us for a moment. That's the church at Antioch. What about the church at Haynes Creek? If we fast forward 10, 15, 20, 50 years, what would be written about our church? What would be said about our church? Will people say, oh man, Church of Haynes Creek, man, that was a church that was committed to Jesus. That's a church that, that loves Jesus and lives for him. And they, they reached out into a dark community with the light of the gospel. They, they were a growing church, not just numerically, but, but, but depth. And they, they were growing in their faith. They lived out their faith. Would they say that? Or would they say, oh yeah, that, the church at Haynes Creek, yeah, that, that, that church is closed off. They're only focused on themselves. They're not worried about reaching out to those around them, to the community. No, they're just focused on them. Oh, that church, that church, no, there's no depth there. There's no growing there. You don't go there to grow in your faith. But they say, oh, that, that, that church, yeah, they're, they're, they were divided. They were selfish. They, they were only focused on them. Yeah, they, they weren't generous at all. What are they going to say about this church, about us? Who are we going to be? as a church. I don't know about you, but I, I want to be a church that's, that's committed to Jesus and his word. I want to be a church that shares their faith. I want to be a church that lives out their faith. I want to be a church that, that is growing in our faith and knowledge and love of Jesus every single day. Let's be that kind of church. All right, I'm, I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to come up as they, they always do and lead us in, in a time of worship here. And just like we do every Sunday, just because we're in a school, it's no different. We're going to end this time with worship and communion like we do every single week. So if you're here, you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to pray. And just like we do every week, I want you to spend some time in prayer. Maybe you need to spend some time just kind of examining your heart. Where where's your heart been lately? Is it more devoted to the things of this world or, or is it devoted to Jesus? You need to bring some things to the Lord in, in repentance and confession. As, as you're ready, as you spend some time in prayer, again, take, take the time that you need. You go to the tables on either side here. We got them on the sides. You take the cup. You take the bread representing Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. We take, we eat, we drink, and we worship our good God and Savior. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I, I love that you're here. I want you to keep coming. I hope that you do keep coming. Which this, this is a safe place for you to ask questions and work out your faith and understanding of scripture. Uh, you're never gonna be judged for that. So come with your questions, come with your doubts, your fears, your, your struggles. We'd love to talk with you about that kind of stuff. So keep coming, I, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, but this time isn't for the, those that haven't put their faith in Jesus. It's a time for us as believers to recognize and, and worship Jesus for his sacrifice. But if you're here and you don't know Jesus, I just wanna encourage you, just like those people in Antioch, who heard the good news, that they, they responded with belief and faith in Jesus. If you want to do that today, I, I would love to, to talk with you about that. I'll be hanging out in, in the back uh, during this next moment of worship and, and afterwards as well. If you have any questions about what it looks like to believe in Jesus, 
uh, please come and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. But let me pray for us, church, and we'll, uh, we'll continue in our worship here. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives, Jesus. Thank you for, for your hand on us, Lord. We know it's completely by your hand that you have guided us here, Lord. You've brought us here for a purpose, for a reason. It's not just to have a roof over our heads as we gather, Lord. You have, you have placed us here in this community, in this part of the county, for your purpose, to bring your gospel to the people in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in, in this community and beyond, Jesus. Would we be obedient to that? Would we be faithful to that, Lord? Would you use us to bring the hope and the gospel to a world that, that desperately needs it? Jesus, we, we know this is completely your work. This is by your hand alone, Lord. So, so give us the strength to remain faithful to you. Lord. Let us be a church that follows hard after you. Jesus, we thank you. We love you. Give you all the praise and all the glory today. In your name we pray. Amen.